Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel overchurched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Morning. My name is Katie. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I have the privilege of reading scripture for us this morning. Um, Our text comes from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 32. Um, You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible if you brought one. Um, If you don't have one and you'd like one, I think we have a few, um, feel free to grab one after the service and take it home with you. Um, So hear the word of the Lord this morning, although I do want to apologize for the non-gender inclusive language for God in this passage. When Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring." Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead." When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, 
But others said, we will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them. But some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Erin James Brown. I serve as the interim site pastor here at Urban Village Church Edgewater. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I, oh, I'm just so delighted to see you this morning. Welcome. Uh, Throughout this month of June and Pride Month, I've been uh, trying something new or opening prayer as a form of body prayer. It's one of my favorite spiritual practices, invoking my body as a way of inhabiting the space and how I communicate to God. So I want to invite you to practice this body prayer with me. You can stay where you are seated, but we take our hands and we simply place them over our mouths. You can rest them on your lips. You can grasp your mouth if you need to. But this is a meditation offering ourselves up to God. Spirit of God who moves in the rushing wind and the soft breeze. We offer ourselves to you asking that you use our minds and think through them. Use our mouths and speak through them. And God, that you set our hearts on fire. May we be instruments of your hope in a world that desperately needs to hear from you. And then church, I invite you to take your hands and place them over your heart. This is a posture of devotion. God, we are your people. There are so many other gods in our world clamoring for our attention and our desires, but we desire nothing else except you. We are yours. We are yours. We are yours. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Paul, Paul has been kicked out and run out of a lot of towns, both towns of Berea and Thessalonica. He goes into these places and argues with Jews, and then he travels on to the next town because he was kicked out of the last place. When the haters hear what he's doing, they want him to have limited success, and they come in, sabotage him, running him out for spreading the word about the Messiah, the one born of a virgin, the one for whom the, uh, the, the uh, veil was torn in two. So feeling deflated, wondering what he could have done differently, Paul enters into Athens under the cover of his friends. He approaches this university town, this place filled with seemingly smart people, pluralistic communities, different traditions, people concerned with learning about worldly cultures, sensing that these people might be interested in hearing something new and different. Paul goes throughout the city, babbling about Jesus. Some interpreters say he's scattering his words, throwing seeds of the gospel around. The people hear about this and they become curious. Rather than incensed about his changing old traditions, these Athenians, those who hear of something new on their, and love hearing of new things on their lists of articles they read, and then they sit around with their wine, relaxing, say, did you read that latest NPR uh, 
article, or I was reading the New York Times this week. They love being the first of their friends to post the most interesting perspective and watch all the reposts and the thumbs up and the angry faces in their commentary. These Athenians enjoy being the ones to educate others about the latest happenings in their community, in their government. They are the most woke, finding the latest, cutest video of babies. And so they hear of this word stringer spouting about something new, but something actually really old, a tradition they know, but he's speaking about it in a new way. His language is not a literal difference speaking in tongues. He does not, like when the Holy Spirit of fire smacked everyone to speak with new language. Instead, he uses the language of the community to speak a new way about something very old, the creator of the universe. So he allows his words to become malleable, a toy with which he can play, a creative outlet with, with which he can try new things in order to give a deeper meaning to lofty words like grace, what does that mean? Or like love, sure, blah, blah. Or like salvation, huh? And the people, instead of running him out of town, they pull him up on the stage and they say, come here, get to the mic so we can hear you. So they lead into this real discussion. And instead of quoting scripture, which Paul probably has memorized, he chooses something from their own canon, their own place of knowledge, a poet, the equivalent of an artist or a musician or a fellow spitter of words and rapper of societal truths. So Paul quotes a source they've heard from before. In him, we move and live and have our being to make a point of God's presence moving in us, bringing life to us, inspiring life through us. They hear these words and understand his reference. Not all are inspired by his creative use of language. Not all are convinced by his well-put uh, well argument. But that's not the point. Paul, and I would argue, our evangelistic intent is not to count up how many lost souls we save like a collector of awards. Instead, we tell and retell the stories of Paul's many missionary journeys to see and hear different ways of doing evangelism, of telling the good news to a world that desperately desperately needs to hear something good. So we tell it so that we see how it plays out. And in the end, some decide to follow, Dionysus and Damaris and others. From there, Paul moves on. This time he's not run out of town, to, but he moves on sensing the spirit to try new languages in a new place, sensing that the words to communicate truth and hope are needed in a world outside. And so what are ways, as we talk this month, we've been unpacking and exploring evangelism. What does it mean to share the good news with a world that desperately needs to hear the good news we have found in Jesus? And what are ways we do this authentically to communicate in our community, in our world? And then what are gods, gods with a little g, known or unknown in our lives that we dedicate ourselves to and dedicate how we feel about ourselves? As a Christian pastor, I've done a lot of thinking about church in the 21st century and how, uh, and how we communicate and what evangelism should look like. Do we tell people, pull them aside and say, can I tell you about my best friend, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Do we pass out tracts on the CTA? Do we hand out cookies and coffee? Because in truth, many people are going 
other places to seek truth, going other places for opportunities to find meaning and community and joy, which is good. And how do we communicate a hope that we have found in God? Because more often, you, you are the exception, the chosen who have chosen to come to church on a Sunday morning. But a lot of people, myself included, maybe would rather be in a workout class on a Sunday morning, going to fill their bodies and their spirits with endorphins of cycling or yoga or strength training. Workout classes are places where people meet others with similar goals and interests, where people feel the surge of endorphins and gain a sense of pride in their body. Or maybe you're like me and you would rather skip church and go to brunch. Because brunch is the giver of bottomless joy, bottomless conversation, and bottomless mimosas. Brunch allows people to slow down, to enjoy the patio, which is the city version of the outdoors, and catch up on all of our relationships. These things are what we are competing against. The workout, the classes, the brunch, the meals, the book clubs, and they aren't bad. We admit They are all spaces of meaning, spaces where God's spirit is present. They are all spaces we can find ourselves, insert ourselves, share the truth about what God is doing in our lives. The language, their community is about care and connection. But we also know that in those spaces, the language of hope is fragile. The joys of the world While there is joy in the world, there is fragility among us. Although we may care for ourselves or at least try to by going to workout classes and hanging out with friends, although we work a job and provide for ourselves and our families, although we try to catch up with people and study our shared interests, there is still that lack of hope that what we do matters, that mercy will be offered and that justice will win. Because the physical world around us seems to deny that hope is rational, that God's will is possible. And so our call as people of faith is to use our language in creative, thoughtful ways to share the hope we found in God. That's why we come on Sunday mornings to be reminded that hope is real, the hope we know that the world desperately needs because we feel it within our souls. We also know that the language of or the God with a little G in our lives, is the struggle. Because the struggle is real, and some days I'm driving the struggle bus. The struggle is real to work hard, to make ends meet, to meet all the goals, to travel across the city with great public transit, but it takes a long ace time to get from one end to the other. The language of our lives then becomes loneliness. One of the gods we worship, maybe we don't even really want to, but it is a staple of our lives, is the God of loneliness. And we're lonely because we're tired from traveling from one end of the city to the other. We're tired from working hard, or we're tired because we're lonely because TV is so good and books are so dang good nowadays. And so we arrive at our place of stay at the end of the day and stuff our face with whatever was left in the refrigerator, just trying to calm our minds from the frenetic energy of the outside world. And loneliness is one of the languages of our day. It's a language, a God of the Chicago community, I I truly believe. And people simply trying to survive in the world often feel very lonely. And loneliness isn't a bad thing. Being alone can teach us the power of silence, the power of listening, 
But the language of loneliness leaves us without the power to communicate with others. We lose the power of relationship, of getting our lives mixed up and mixed in with each other. And so another reason we have hope in the Christian faith, the hope we have as Jesus followers is that we share this world, that loneliness is not our God, that we are called to be in community, called to text each other because we believe we need each other, called to have watching parties instead of watching alone, called to have beach days and meals, and it's over music and art and bread and cup that we are brought closer. This is what we hope. We also know that the language or the God with a little G of our lives is about the concern, the deep concern that we are not enough, the deep well that we don't strive enough, that we don't have enough. And so the language of our lives then becomes shame. One of the gods we worship, even though we choose not to or really don't want to, but because we are humble to the point of self-deprecation sometimes, is the God of shame. And it's not always our fault that we're shameful. We're shameful because the messages around us tell us that we aren't smart enough or woke enough or not civil enough or not pretty enough or not masculine enough or not femme enough. And so we isolate ourselves, making us further lonely, or we beat up ourselves, or to the other extreme, we seek to adamantly and forcefully insert ourselves and distrust everyone else. We see threats all around us because we assume all feel just as much shame about us as we are taught to feel about ourselves. Shame teaches us to quiet ourselves, make ourselves smaller, and distrust the still, small voice of God in our guts. These are the gods of our lives. And so the hope of the Christian faith, the hope of Jesus' followers that we have to share with the world is that shame told us, shame told you, you would not make it. And yet, you are still here. Shame told me I would not survive. And yet, I persist. God keeps using you and me and us. We are a persistent people who celebrate our uniqueness, delight in our differences, and see creativity in the way God has spun us into being. And so we celebrate that we are not perfect, but that God is not finished with us yet. We are not ashamed. In fact, we delight and we keep growing and learning and shifting to be more of a reflection of the lovely people God has created us to be. Paul did this. He saw the language of the poets and the philosophers of the physical world around him, those smart Athenians. He observed and used creativity to twirl the language into a language of hope because it is true in God, we move and have our being. Although he's not quoting scripture, he's quoting a poet. And so for us in the 21st century, it's true that we should do the same thing. We should look for places and spaces and words and creative art where we see God moving, but we can't quite pin it. And we claim God is there too. It's true because we know that God celebrates love because love is love is love is love. It's true that the world is filled with fake news, but we are to be a people of truth telling. It's true that we can drink rosé all day and we do that with the help of friends to help us reflect the banquet of God that is already here and not yet fully a reality. 
So how do we communicate this language of hope to a world that needs to hear it? We see the language around us. We learn it. We observe it. We listen to it. And we embrace our creativity to share it. So we observe. What and who are the gods around us? What are the cultural things speaking to us? We know that loneliness is real, that shame dominates our lives, but we see artists and art all around us trying to combat that. That's why we study people like Kendrick Lamar or Cardi B, or we watch the latest movies dropped on our favorite streaming services like Always Be My Maybe. We look around us and see what others are talking about, writing about, reading, watching, listening to. We also have to figure out what kids are interested in these days, which I have no clue what it is. I tried to Google to give you some examples and I have no idea. So I'll let you know. We observe what people are into and learn about it because we are interested. When I, I am significantly older than my younger cousins. I don't have any siblings. And so I wanted to adopt my cousins as my siblings and I wanted them to think I was cool. And so when they were 13 and I was a million years older, I decided the way I could become cool to them was I had to study what they loved. And what did they love but Justin Bieber? And so, girl, I know all the songs to Baby and What Do You Mean and Despacito, Spanish and English versions. I know the windswept hair to the tattoos. And I have to say, I now too am a believer. It came after long years of study, I know. But I did this because I so desperately cared about these people, wanted to be involved in their lives and share hope with them. And so I observed what they loved. I made their loves my loves. And so we do this too by listening. Listening, not just about listening and then thinking about what I'm gonna say next because I wanna be so freaking relevant. No, listening instead of waiting to break into the conversation and insert my smart idea about that NPR story I heard but listening, actually listening to what the other person is saying with empathy, without an agenda or something to share. Maybe it's how, that's how we'll learn what the youth are into instead of Googling it. But <laughs> maybe it's also how we'll realize that people are growing increasingly more interested in country music. Did you know? Did you know that country music is growing increasingly queer affirming? What the what? Jesus be praised? Look at God. Country queer. (laughs) That's a good bumper sticker. Uh, (laughs) But by listening, we also learn about who's your favorite queen on RuPaul's Drag Race. Do you have one? It's how we learn that some people are into horror movies, and I hate horror movies, but I'll give it a good gosh darn try. Because by learning about what people are into, listening to each other with deep empathy, we learn new ways of communicating with each other. And then the last thing, we observe, we listen, and we use and embrace creativity. After observing and listening, we use creative language to help us communicate the hope of God in country music, the hope we see in the world, in art, in the popular messages around us. We do not embrace the fragility of hope, but we reclaim that hope and God are found in lots of crazy spaces. Despite all evidence to the contrary, hope of God is alive and well, that God keeps us, God keeps bringing us 
together. God keeps revealing God's beauty, that God keeps pressing the ark of justice. God God keeps teaching us to trust each other because God trusts us and God is in control of what God has created. So we learn these new languages, learn to play with language and learn to work with language in our community. My mother uh, is an interpreter for the deaf. And she teaches me lots of American Sign Language. I can't remember any of it, but uh, I, I too, my family is expecting a child. And the first thing she sent us was a book on how important it is to teach your children sign language right from the get-go. So (laughs) uh, I have to learn. But the neat thing that I've learned from American Sign Language about our own language and languages throughout the world is that we all use our own syntax and grammar that language is constantly evolving and shaping. So like back in the day, the word queer used to mean something negative, something negative thrown on top of people about how they identify. And yet, we now use the word queer as an all-inclusive word to bring people more further into the circle. People have chosen to reclaim the language of of queer as as an inclusive self-identifier. And so in American Sign Language, Um, The word for queer is uh, taking a Q, this is Q in the American Sign Language, and you swipe it across your chin, queer. And that's a play on the word of gay in American Sign Language, which gay used to be the ubiquitous term for all LGBTQ++ all the other letters word. Gay, which is G, which is this, this is Q, this is G, (laughs) is here like a little Fu Manchu or a little, uh, what's this one? A soul patch, a little nasty thing at the bottom of your chin. <laughs> My husband used to have one and ugh. Uh, this is the symbol for gay that used to be an all-inclusive term, but since the queer, com- the queer deaf community has changed it to be all-inclusive, queer. It's similar, G and Q, gay and queer. Also, the word drag queen in, uh, in places, and the word queen would be thrown around as a hateful term towards people who acted more feminine or more masculine than they should. Um, the word queen has now become yas queen, a celebration of people loving themselves and living loud and proud. And so in American Sign Language, queen has not become reflective of monarchs, but it has become queen, the hair spinning down. And if you want to be really flamboyant and fabulous, you do yas queen, lots of hair flowing. This is how language becomes creative and beautiful and an embodiment of how we are created and how we can use language now. You can be talking to someone and as you want to agree with what they're saying, you can oh, yes, queen. Getting our lives and our language mixed up with each other. And so uh, we look for language in communities where we seek to share good news language around us and learn to celebrate how to communicate hope, how to embrace the creativity of our call to communicate to a world that hope actually is all around. This is the day in the Christian calendar. I don't know if you know this. This is a big day. We don't always celebrate it at UBC, but in most churches across the country, everybody wears red. 
I wore red. I normally forget to wear red on this day, though. <laughs> but this is one of the only shirts that still fits. <laughs> this, on this day, which is called Pentecost, we usually celebrate that after Jesus left his disciples in charge of sharing the, the gospel message with the world, he chose not to leave them alone, but he sent the Holy Spirit, a powerful guide, a powerful mover and shaker of inspiration. So the people gathered there to learn to speak the languages all around them. It was literal, different languages, but also I like to think it was the nuance, the syntax, the heart languages of communi communities around them that they found themselves. So they learned all of the signs and all of the ways to share. The Holy Spirit spat herself out so that all could hear the gospel and be changed by the hope of God, just as the Spirit moved powerfully in those days. We celebrate that the Spirit keeps spitting rhymes and rhythms to our world that needs to hear it. And so we observe and listen and embrace our creativity to share it with the world. Will you pray with me? Empowering God, you spoke the world into being. Pour out your spirit to the ends of the earth. You gave the church the language of hope in a world where hope is a fragile commodity. So God, give us wisdom to observe and listen to our community. Grant us the courage to speak up with inspiration and send us out with renewed spirits to restore hope to a world that they may understand and believe that you are our God and you are proud. And so we pray in the name of our brother and friend, Jesus. Amen.